Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to episode 8 of the Future of Australia podcast. In this episode, I interview Daniel Christos, the founder and CEO of Cypher Interactive, a multi-platform interactive studio that creates engaging content and digital solutions. We discuss his evolution from working in large corporate banks to working in small and fast-paced creative agencies. His recurring desire to start and run his own business and the rollercoaster journey of ups and downs with different business partners and attempted businesses. Hear how he created a focused plan and made Cypher Interactive a reality. From parting ways with his co-founder to becoming an award-winning creative agency which grew 59% last financial year. If you are looking for someone to help bring digital ideas to life and bring digital firepower to your marketing efforts, check out cypherinteractive.com.au. That's C-Y-P-H-A-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V.com.au. So I'm here with Daniel Christos of Cypher Interactive. So welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Thanks for having me. That's all right. So, so, can you give us a bit of background of what were you doing before you started Cypher Interactive? You know, what did you study, and, and what type of roles and companies were you working in previously? Sure. So, I actually studied a Bachelor of Computer Science. So, I started out as a developer. Um, so, I went to uni, did that, and then from there jumped into the kind of corporate world. I was in the the banking sector for a while. So, A and P Bank, SunCorp. Um, did a few years there, and then I realized that that kind of wasn't really for me. So then I discovered this whole world of agency um, where you're working on a number of fun projects for a number of different clients, and it's quite a good variety. So I jumped ship into that, um, and I was probably in that space for about probably about 10 years, worked with a number of integrated agencies, digital-only agencies, worked as a developer, and then worked managing those development teams, and then worked as head of digital for more integrated agencies, and then it got to a point of being in a integrated only agency, integrated agency where digital was one of many different pieces. So, uh, and the rate that digital is moving and how fast things are progressing, you really needed to be uh, 100% focused on that for that to be, um, for that to actually be something that you could stay on top of for clients. So, in order to do that, I decided to take the leap. And with my design director, who I was working with at the time, we both left our current agency and formed Cypher, which was a digital-only agency. Um, from there, 
Sarp has been around for about six years now. Um, it started just the two of us. We worked in a, a co-working space down in Chippendale in Sydney. So there was two of us down there, then there was three of us, then there was four of us. And then I think we got to about five people and we decided, okay, let's let's get our own space now. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. So we're in our own space now in Surrey Hills. We're still not massive. We're still uh, about 10 people. Um, so kind of the size of a good-sized digital team and what you get in kind of big integrated agencies, but digital is, is purely our focus. Um, and, yeah, that's that's kind of, kind of it. I mean, we've been working on variety of different clients so anything from uh financial services to fmcg to sporting we've done work for the nrl um for afl we worked in education space so we've done a lot of work for abc for maritime museum um we also work with a number of uh agency partners as well so um we've had quite a few different connections with agencies over the years so um, we've worked with them quite closely on some of their clients in bringing some of their digital ideas to life. Um, so it's been quite varied over the last few years. Yeah, so, so it's a few interesting sort of turns there. Um, yeah. So when you say agencies, um, were some of those sort of like development agencies and others were marketing agencies or they were both sort of a bit of a mix? of? Um, probably a bit of a mix. So some of them were the larger integrated agencies that didn't have the digital capabilities in-house. They had a few people that could do some bits and pieces, but when it came to bigger, more technical projects, they'd reach out to somebody like us. Or also, if they just didn't have the time, their internal team was bogged down, um, we would jump in and help on some of those projects as well. Um, we've also worked with some PR-type firms as well, so um, some more digital social activation for those guys, some more event-type companies. So... It really varies from anyone that's in a similar kind of space but requires that digital firepower to bring an idea to life across a number of different channels. And But these are all under the sort of umbrella of marketing tech and marketing automation. Is that right? Like you're not doing any sort of non-marketing digital technology and software development, right? <coughs> um, so we've done a couple of platform builds, so custom platform builds, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, a custom shopping platform or whether it's a bespoke um system so we've done a few of those um we've also done a few um you know traditional just website builds um a number of mobile applications number of social media campaigns um so yeah quite it varies quite a lot and so you've been in tech for for quite a a while right sort of 20 plus years and that's what you were studying so when you were sort of first starting out and studying did you have a direction you were sort of looking towards or did you know what you thought you were going to do with the your tech skills back then um not really early on i just i guess i picked computer science because it was something that i was good at i just kind of natively could pick it up um but you know we didn't have social media we barely had the internet back then so it was quite a different world you know we were learning programming and assembler and some really old school languages to give you that kind of foundation and then it moved into as I said, I was in the banking sector where I was doing almost more support-type roles, which wasn't very exciting at all. So it was kind of at a point where I didn't really know what was what direction it was going until the, the internet kind of went crazy. And then this whole world of web um, kind of burst out and then I went on there to, to social and to um, interactive installations and apps and, and a variety of different things. So... Um, yeah, it didn't really have a clear direction. Um, it just kept changing. So, you know, being in the space, it keeps changing. We have to either keep moving or get out of the way. So, 
um, we choose to keep moving. <laughs> That's good. So, so the original bank was that your banking years in banking, sort of maintaining a lot of large legacy systems, like saying sort of support. Was that kind of what it was, and that you sort of got a bit burnt out on that and wanted something more creative? Yeah, it was more working with big databases, big data sets, and you know just kind of support in that kind of sense around uh, around data. And then they just started to get into more online web platforms and to get a little bit more advanced with that. But it just wasn't for me. So I actually had a friend that was working for another uh, a web agency, and he actually poached me to replace him um, for the role. So I thought, yeah, why not? Sounds interesting, something different. And then there was when I really um, learned all about web and, and how to get the most out of it. And then, I mean, that was about, that would have been probably 15 years ago now. So, um, quite early days. The technology's moved quite a bit. The languages have changed, the platforms have changed, but in essence, it's still, it's still been the same. It's how to use technology to get customers from where they are now to where they want to be. Yeah, and was there sort of an initial culture shock when you went from big sort of corporate back office sort of banking into sort of client facing and a smaller sort of agency or did it feel sort of like a natural fit and improvement? Uh, I definitely felt like an improvement because it moved away from the more corporate 100 people on a floor, everyone with a petition in their cubicle to, you know, a 20-person team, open space, more family-orientated, very... um very collaborative, um, yeah, so very different environment. And that's something I think that I didn't realise until now that's something that we've tried to replicate with Cypher. It's, it's very it's very flat structure. It's very open. definitely has that family-type vibe. You know, there isn't that many of us either, so it's quite easy for us to kind of collaborate mm-hmm. and work closely together on, on jobs and on the direction of the business. Um, so definitely something that I've tried to hang on to. And... Even moving to a lot of big agencies as well, culture. Um, a lot of those, a lot of the bigger agencies will put culture quite high as well. But I think they're a little bit deluded in how good they think that culture is. I mean, culture is a lot more than than beers on a Friday. It's it's the way the team work together. It's common values. It's it's everyone aligned, heading for the same goal. And and I think that's um, that's something that is missing. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a really good point on sort of culture and, and uh, everyone wants to sort of pay lip service to culture because you can't say you don't care about it, but in the actual implementation, is it just a few perks or is it actually how people do things? Um, and, and then, so you made that career shift and then you're in the agency world and obviously you like that, so you're staying in that. And, and then um, when you started Cypher, was that this first sort of entrepreneurial, I mean, your own business, the first business you had started? Um, no, I've had quite a few failed ones before that, actually. Um, I think <laughs> I think it may have been in me from a, a long time ago. I remember when I was in school, I used to actually walk past the newsagent on the way to school and I would buy boxes of these sherbet straws and then I'd take them to school and I'd sell them for five cents each and turn a profit at the end of every day. Um, I think it, it's been something that's kind of been in me from, from the very start. Uh, so... I think after I left school, I actually um, did a lot of music and worked with a number of music artists and did music production and had a, a independent record label and did that for a while, tried to turn that into a business, which didn't work quite well. Uh, then I had an online phone card business with a partner, which went for a year and then also didn't do very well. Uh, and then I had a bridal business with another couple of partners 
which went for a couple of years, which did all right. But then we kind of lost interest and moved on. Um, and then, yeah, went in and out of freelance. And I did start my own agency a while ago before before starting Cypher, but that was kind of just solo me and a couple of freelancers, which didn't really work um, either, that approach. So that was a failed attempt. Went back into the workforce for another year or two and then cemented it that this just wasn't for me. Um, and then moved out again and started Cypher. And so far, so good. Six years on, we're still going. So learned a few things along the way. Yeah, and I, I think it's really interesting that you, like you said, you identified at a young age. You've, you've got this interest in sort of entrepreneurial business sort of things, even at a small scale. Um, and then how were you sort of managing these other ventures like would you sort of take a six month sort of sabbatical every couple of years or were you running them on weekends and in evenings and while you're working full-time or how are you sort of juggling these side businesses like the the record label and the phone cards and the bridal stuff and your sort of broader you know job and sort of paying the bills while trying to get them off the ground yeah they're pretty much all going concurrently with full-time employment which is which is a struggle in itself Mm -hmm. um and probably part of the reason why they didn't work um, because you really have to have full focus and full dedication to that one thing. Otherwise, it's just it's, it's just not going to work. Some people say have a plan B. Other people say don't have a plan B because then plan A will have to work. Um, and I think there's definitely something in that. Um, so I think that probably played a part in it. But also, um, it's really important making sure you pick the right partners. Um, I think that's really key, making sure you know who you're dealing with, you know what each person's role is and where they fit and where you fit, um, and getting that right, I think, is very difficult to do. A lot of people get lucky and they nail it. A lot of people just go into business with friends and it just doesn't work. So I think it's finding the right people because when I think back to it, the ones where I had partners involved, um, it was when another party lost interest. So when one of them kind of lost interest in it, it kind of gets too difficult to carry on your own. Uh, and then, you know, it just fizzles out. So two of the businesses, the bridal business and the phone card business, both of the other partners just lost interest in it. So um, it wasn't really being pushed. So, you know, they folded. So, and, and were they similar to you, like working full-time but entrepreneurial sort of tendencies and wanting to sort of create something different? Or what was their sort of background and... I mean, they were obviously friends of yours, but then you were sort of sitting over beers and came up with ideas, or how did it sort of start, those other side businesses? Um, one of them I worked with, um, and the other one was a friend that I had for a long time. Um, both of the businesses were actually uh, their idea. It, it came about from something that they saw or they discovered or they saw an opportunity and kind of roped me in. Um, I guess being technical has its advantages to... Um, when it comes to starting a business. So bringing in someone with technical skills and marketing skills is obviously an advantage. So I generally get pulled into a few things. Um, but early on, I thought, yeah, they're great ideas and they had the passion for it. So I was able to support them with the passion of their business, um, but not really being my passion. And then when their passion faded on it, they kind of, uh, yeah, they kind of just died out. So both of them come about from uh, those partners finding a need, seeing a problem, finding a need and then trying to solve it but then ultimately losing interest in it when it gets too hard because it does get hard. Yeah, and I think also sometimes people forget that sort of 
being sort of quick off the mark and being very persistent and patient are sort of opposite personality traits. So, like you said, they had the business idea, the excitement, they got you excited, but they weren't perhaps actually that sort of strong on follow-through maybe or persistence or, again, other things going on. And Because you wouldn't sort of assume at the surface someone who sort of starts the idea would sort of give it up before you do, but it actually sounds like that's kind of, is that kind of what happened? Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what happened. Okay. And so how was the sort of starting Cypher different? Like, so that was your own idea and sort of vision and you picked your partner a different way based on what you had learned or what was the difference with, with the start of that? Um, so it really started with me, I guess, having that need again and then looking around to see who I knew that was in that space. Um, and I actually just picked the you know, the design director that I was already working with because ultimately we were already working on projects together from a design perspective mm-hmm. and a technical perspective. So he would lead the creative side, I would lead the technology side. Um, so it just made sense. Ultimately, though, we didn't really know each other very well. We had only worked together for about six to 12 months, um, but we both just had that common goal of wanting to do something um, for ourselves and we were both kind of frustrated with, the market in Sydney and where it was going and where the creative was going and how digital was being prioritised or not prioritised um, and we wanted to change that. So we both really had that common goal. Um, so we got together and this time before we did anything, we did a good six months of planning before we did anything, um, which is, I guess, one of the things that I learnt. It's, okay, you can't just jump out and start your business and then try and look for a customer and you can do that. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but we wanted to really sit down there, sit down and think about, okay, who are we? What do we stand for? What are we going to do that's different? Why would people want to work with us? How do we position ourselves in the market and, and get that right before we actually ventured out to, to do anything? So a lot of people that start uh, agencies like ours tend to start off the back of a client. So mm-hmm. they'll, either pinch it, they'll either pinch a client or they'll have a win that, you know, kicks them off and away they go. For us, we didn't start with any clients. We started with nothing. Um, we obviously didn't take any clients. We didn't take any relationships or anything with us, so we started from scratch. So we built the business quite organically. Um, both of us didn't really take a salary for about six to eight months, and then we did. when we did start to take a salary, it was quite modest, um, and we just really focused on putting everything back into the business and building the team and building our capabilities and building our portfolio of work so we could go from one project to the next. So each little project we we managed to get would basically feed the machine to go on and, and get the next project and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't an easy one, um, but, you know, we learned a lot on the way having to hustle to get to where we did. Yeah, and I think, so just to sort of recap, so you were both sort of working, but you were mapping out the plan, like you said, in a lot of detail, sort of the business plan, the business case, thinking ahead, and sort of really getting detailed and then how did you or when did you get to the point where you sort of said this is it and did you sort of you know put in your notice and basically start the company or then you started going out and sort of looking for clients and scaling back your sort of your full-time work? Um, No we basically pulled the pin so we put the notice in and then you know the following day we sat down and said okay let's do it let's 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 move. So, yeah, we finished up what we did and then, and then started new. 
And how was that first 12 months sort of looking back? Like you said, working hard, hustling, you'd, you know, gone all in, not a sort of side job or evening and weekend thing. You're all in. It's your full-time focus. What was that first 12 months like? Uh, Exciting, challenging, frustrating, um, but rewarding. It's it's one of those things. I mean, the, the good thing is we were prepared to not take any money for six months. So we were prepared for that. So we needed to be in a position where we weren't desperate. So we didn't just grab anything and start to do work and do it for peanuts. And, you know, we obviously did work very cheaply. Um, but we removed that pressure by knowing that we weren't going to take any wages for six months. So we had confidence in ourselves that we could pull in some projects in that period of time and start to bring in some revenue. So we scaled back our expenses that we had. Um, to minimise that, and we gave ourselves a runway of, you know, six to 12 months, which took a lot of that pressure off. Yeah, I mean, it's all very sensible and logical. It's it's rare, I think. A lot of people don't start that way. They sort of dive in and some survive and some don't, but it's actually a very logical and sort of sen- and practical way to sort of get started. And then, so you're building up, obviously, like you said, you're able to, after a while, take a salary, cover your costs properly, win better work. And then last financial year, you grew revenue 59%. What sort of changed in that year or was there something new you did or, again, different that sort of led to that sort of growth spurt? It was an interesting time because the year before, um, my business partner actually left the business. So he had decided that it was no longer for him because he was very creative um, and very creatively driven and was all about the work, whereas when you're running a business as well, you can't really be 100% focused on your craft, uh, and that is what he was really missing. Um, so he decided he wanted to leave the business. So he left the year prior to that, which was where... I actually had a look at the business to see what was the next step. Do I look at getting another partner? Do I look at hiring? How do I, you know, how do I go through from here? Um, potentially, the business could have closed at that point. Like it was, it was quite a um, quite an impact on the business, um, and there was a few decisions that needed to be made at that time. So I think taking my eye off the ball at that time resulted in the year prior being quite low in regards to revenue. So I think. The, the following year, being able to grow that much was to do with me just kind of realising that, okay, I'm not going to find a partner. It's taking up too much of my time. It was very difficult to try to find the right fit, the right person. So I decided I'll just put that on hold and get back to running the business. Um, and eventually I had a bit of a shift in focus around – before we were always focusing on doing really, really good creative work. Um, and then what we would do is – Selfishly, we would do a really good project and then we'd want to move on to the next really good project um, because we'd want to do something else. And that's really how we started the business. We started the business on trying to get a number of projects under our belt that were quite a variety for different sectors and different things so we could be everything for everyone. Um, But the shift we made was really focusing on the current clients we have, getting to know their business more, getting to understand them more. Um, and looking at where else we can add value. So rather than saying, cool, we've built, we built you this amazing app, away you go, let's try and find something else. It's like, what else can we do for that customer? How else can we um, generate value for that customer? You know, what is it they need to do next? How do they grow the app? How do they bring in traffic? How do they convert that traffic? 
you know, how do they get a good, strong return on that investment? So working closer with customers rather than trying to find the next one. Because as I say, it's a lot more expensive to try to find a new client than it is to nurture the one that you have. And that's probably the big difference, I would say. Yeah, and and I think it's interesting too because it's sort of a different type of create creative thinking, isn't it? Like people associate creative thing with like artistic or musical, but but thinking about again your clients' businesses in creative and different ways is a form of creativity, even though some people might see it as less sort of exciting than a brand new sort of pure artistic creative project. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's looking at. I mean, it's like anything, it's a problem. So customers will come to us with a problem or a challenge and then we look at how we can use technology creatively in a way that helps them cut through, stand out, build their audience, drive more traffic, drive more sales and build their brands. Yeah, and so now, I mean, have you got sort of a business partner since then or are you the main, the sole sort of owner and director now? Um, no, I don't have a business partner at the moment, so it is just just myself. Okay. And again, you've sort of in some ways, I guess, been, um, uh, you know, a few times, right, you've had this, which again, every every business goes through these challenges with business partners, sort of reflecting back, um, like, are you sort of in the future open to having a business partner or what, what are your sort of current thoughts on business partnerships versus doing it sort of yourself and having, again, been through a number of partners and you know, partnerships starting and ending and, and, and what's your sort of take on that as, a, you know, multiple people owning and running a business? I think having the right partner can make a big difference. I think having the wrong partner can make a massive difference. Um, so I feel like the risk is greater with getting the wrong person than the reward of getting the right person, but that's because I probably haven't been in that position. Um but I do think definitely if you can get the right person on board, um, it could be, uh, yeah, it would definitely be a valuable thing to do. It's just very difficult to do, I think. And what do you think the hardest part is? Is it aligning values? Is it timing, getting someone who's also looking, you know, at that point to start a business? Is it, you know, holding the relationship together when business goes through its ups and downs? What's the kind of thing that, again, mate, your experience, but also with friends and clients and other people, you know, what sort of leads to business partnerships not working out? Um, I think it's making sure that you're aligned. So what you're trying to achieve and what they're trying to achieve is the same thing and also you complement each other. So there's no overlap. You're both not trying to. And this is where me and my other business partner worked well. It's because he was in, in control of creative and I was in control of technology. But combined, we were both trying to do strategy and new business. And so there was a bit of an overlap there of taking us away from our crafts and doing all the other bits and pieces that you need to to run the business. Um, so I think even having a third partner would probably have been ideal. Um, having someone that is, you know, that lead account service strategic type person having someone that leads creative and having someone that leads technology. A lot of people, a lot of agencies start like that. Um, and I, I do think that's a good way to start. And a lot of technology companies and a lot of startups also start that way, making sure they have an equal balance between those kind of three disciplines. Um, but I think getting that right is, is very difficult and finding the right people is very difficult. Um, and I just found that it took a lot of energy trying to do that. And while I was doing that, the business was suffering. 
Yeah, and, and you've actually got quite an interesting mix, like yourself, being a technical, backgrounded sort of uh, guy, then going into the sort of marketing, creative, I guess even strategy in a sense, but then in the third sort of angle, also having the business sort of sense and business interest, like I guess that combination of those three, sort of tech, uh, creative and uh, commercial sense is a rare combination as well. Um, yeah, I guess so. I haven't actually thought about it like that, but yeah, I guess I guess it is. Yeah, because I think a lot, like I said, they have one and that, the other, if they don't have a partner that can sort of complement it, that's where the sort of the leg of the chair falls off and it sort of falls over because they're a very commercial person without the maybe the tech and their tech guy leaves and there's nothing underneath it or they're very tech guy but they can't run a P&L and, and make commercial decisions and then they sort of, you know, run out of money. So you sort of, if you're in a position like yourself where you're doing, where you're, you know, running it yourself, you kind of have to have a bit of that balance to be able to... To do it, otherwise it's a, it's always going to be a bit unbalanced. Yeah, and I guess it's actually quite funny that you say that because I do recall a number of situations where um, we would be working on a project for a client, and creatively the team would want to go nuts and just do this and just do that, and you know as much as we would have loved to have done that, the client's not going to pay for it, and we can't really put resources into developing it to make a loss. So it's making a commercial decision on projects to go. How creatively crazy do we go to put ourselves on the map versus what's going to take our team away to spend time on something that is not going to generate a return for us immediately versus, okay, there's the creative return that we can get from showcasing the work, but, you know, we'd have to be spending a lot more money than we're making on the project in order to do that. So making those commercial decisions was always a difficult one for us. Yeah, and does that impact into your hiring as well? Like, obviously, you want creative people to work for you, but, and, you know, as an employee, they're not making sort of the official business decisions, but like you said, it's a close-knit group. How do you balance that sort of in your hiring and finding someone who's, you know, creative and, and or technical, depending on where they sort of sit in the business, but they're also, they're not going to maybe, you know, get really frustrated when you, you cancel or scale back a project because the commercials yep. don't make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why one of the things that we do and we always try to do is to basically design and develop our own projects. So if something new comes out, if there's a new type of technology, we'll get a team together and we spend some time internally working on something creatively. So we recently launched a um, a 360 VR experience for Machu Picchu, which is um, a site in Peru. Um, if you go to machupichu360vr.com, you'll see a internal piece of work that we did, which was creating a 3D navigational map of Machu Picchu site in Peru. And you can actually navigate that and view 360 video through through your browser, through a mobile device or through Google Cardboard or a Oculus Rift headset. So that's an example of us wanting to explore new technology and how it could work for our clients by doing it ourselves. And we've won awards for that. It's been nominated for a number of different awards. So that is an internal piece. Um, we've also done... Um, something called Cypress Slaughterhouse we did for Halloween, which was we shot all the team dressed up as mummies and monsters um, in green screens and then we dropped them into a 360 environment haunted house uh, and we allowed people to kind of navigate that and go in and explore that experience. So um, as a team, we're always working on new technology and new projects and I think that's where we can feed the creative juices of the team. Um, and then when we do have a client who is interested in something like that, we can reuse some of that technology we've already we've already established 
uh, and allow us to kind of leverage some of that at a more cost-effective price. Because I think the thing is in in Sydney and I guess in Australia, in Australia really, there isn't really a strong appetite for amazing, creative and innovative work. Um, everybody likes to say they do, but when it comes to actually investing in it, it's a little bit more it's a little bit more challenging to get it over the line. So um, it really needs to be cost effective and it needs to deliver results and that's why we try to um, explore technologies like this to find ways that we can cost effectively develop them for clients um, and they can still generate a good return out of it. I think gone are the days when clients used to put you know half a million to a million dollars in an amazing flash-based animated website just because it was cool and it could win an award. Um, it's a completely different world now. Everything needs to deliver a return um, and that's the focus for us this year is really making sure that everything that we do delivers a strong return for our clients. So we don't want clients to think of us ever as a cost. We want them to think of us as an investment and that we're going to generate a strong return for them. So we approach every job that we do now with, you know, what's the return that we can generate? What's the value that we can add to this client? And if we can't add that value, then it's not a client for us. Yeah, I think you covered quite a few key points there. One that I really liked is how, like you said, you see a new technology and you don't wait to win business on it, even though you're very commercially focused, you can see the value in sort of putting your flag on the technology by creating something unique. And, you know, there's an R&D element to it too. And then you're winning awards, people are seeing it, and people are saying, I want that. And you're sort of creating the demand in some ways for it and sort of helping bridge the gap between the creative and the practical because then people can point to it maybe like I'm sure then you get inquiries from like a real estate agent saying I want a virtual reality house that people can walk through or I want a virtual reality something to help you know their business and then you can say well yeah that uses the same technology and has that been an effective sort of strategy to, to lead the sort of creative to commercial sort of applications of these things? Yeah, pretty much. It is a, it is a new business tool for us as well. So it's, um, it really is a win-win. The, the guys get to explore new technology. As a company, we get to stay on the forefront. So when a client says, hey, how does this work? We know how it works and we can talk them through it. Um, and it also helps bring in new leads. Yeah, no, it's a very, very good way of doing it. And so another point, like obviously a lot of what you're doing, like I said, digital, social media, a lot of emerging technology. And I think, um, well, especially lately with like Facebook and the things going on there, there's a lot of controversy as people are waking up to a lot of how like say Facebook makes their money, which has always been known, but I think the average person didn't really know what was happening with the data and, and now you're getting the overreaction in the other direction. How do you see that sort of impacting um, you know, digital marketing or, or just your business, the sort of the consumer perceptions or even maybe the clients and, and their perceptions of sort of technology and data and privacy and things like that? Yeah, I honestly, I don't think it will affect us too much. I think in the short term it will. I mean, the whole, the, the whole situation happened the same with Google when Google was upfront about the data that they keep on us and, and, and how they're targeting us. And people don't like it but they generally accept it as um, part of doing business and part of using their platform. It's, you know, I don't think people are ever going to stop using Facebook because of that. Um, people will have a little bit more control into where their data is and where it's stored and how it's, um, and who's it, who it's shared with. Um, the same with Google. They'll be able to go in and they'll be able to tweak that. But ultimately, in six months' time, people probably won't be. They'll probably just continue using the service as it is. 
Um, I think the, the bigger problem for Facebook would be that data, their, their feed. So getting the feed right for consumers is, is a big challenge for them at the moment because, you know, originally started with just, you know, seeing your friends and family's content and now it went completely the other way and seeing just promoted content and ads and junk and spam. Um, and now they're trying to balance that back out again. So I think the challenge for them is getting that balance right because if they don't have consumers using the platform, they won't have advertisers using the platform. But if advertisers aren't getting the, the results that they need to, they won't be using the platform. So it's, you know, it's a chicken and egg scenario. One can't be alive without the other. So they need to get that balance right so that consumers are happy and uh, publishers and marketing companies can still um, reach the consumer they need to. Yeah, and I think you're right as well that people aren't going to sort of stop. It's sort of it's a small hiccup, but it may lead to a you know a trend towards a different sort of way of doing things, or or maybe a different platform. I mean, is there anything you're sort of seeing in, in because you're on the cutting edge of these trends of sort of what the next sort of maybe or, or less saturated avenue for marketers will, will sort of be digitally, or do you think there's still you know heaps of obviously ROI and, you know, advertising across the existing channels and there's nothing, you know, close to it at this point? I still think there's a lot of opportunities in the current channels um, purely because the market is just so big, like the audience is so big and there's nothing really at the moment that's coming close to that audience size and also that targeting that you can get at the moment. So I think there's definitely still opportunities in it. I don't see um, anything else at the moment, it's kind of um, coming close to that, but there always will be. There's new players popping up all the time. It's just a matter of will they get the traction, will they get the audience. And I think there's definitely an opportunity now with Facebook being the way that it is. I think people are probably hungry for another platform that's ad-free and that they can connect with their, their family and friends a lot easier like Facebook used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will still be difficult for, for them to get traction. So it's one of those things that we... Yeah, we'll wait and see. Yeah, and because there's a whole network effect, right? Like you can't by yourself go to a new platform if none of your friends are on it because what's the point? So as long as they sort of have everyone, no one's sort of moving until a certain tipping point. So stepping back a little bit um, in away from sort of your business, where do you sort of see the current state of sort of entrepreneurship in Australia? You know, what are we doing sort of well here compared to overseas? And I don't know how much you sort of, if you have clients abroad or you sort of do work trips abroad, but how do you think Australia is doing on entrepreneurship? You know, what are we doing well and maybe what could we do better? I think it's definitely improving. I think the government support is also getting better. It's not as um, well documented, but I, I do believe that it's there because I do have a number of contacts who are starting startups and are getting funding and are getting government funding and are uh, are receiving funding from, from private investors. So it's definitely a lot more active and the country as a whole is a lot more aware of it. And I think there's a stronger appetite for investing in startups. Um, you know, we've got all these startup hubs that are popping up. The government just started a, a, a startup hub as well. You've got, you know, the likes of fish burners and, you know, there is strong communities around this and it is a lot easier now to find a network of people, find a network of potential investors and get your idea up there and pitch it. Um, so I feel like definitely it's a lot more it's a lot more accessible than it was in the past and I feel like it's only going to get better. Um, and as I said, I know friends that are getting funding from government. I know organisations that are getting 
funding from bigger from bigger investment groups. So it's um it's definitely on the rise, I think. Okay, no, that's good to hear. And again, so so you've sort of you've had quite a few different experiences, and I'm sure you've learned sort of from each of them. What if there was you know an eighteen or twenty year old version of you now who's interested in business, but obviously not really sure where to start and what to do, and maybe he's also interested a bit in technology and the, all these new sort of things you hear about um, AI, virtual reality. What advice would you give uh, someone who's maybe just finished school or just started uni and has an interest in sort of business and technology? Um, I would say just execute. A lot of people have ideas, a lot of people have good ideas, but I think what separates an idea from a good idea is execution. And a lot of people, I have people come to me and go, hey, I've got this really good idea for an app, can you build it? Here you go, you just build it for me. It's like, it's not that simple. Um, it's, it's about how you execute that idea. So I would say anyone that's interested in doing something, just start. Start in the smallest way you can. Do a little bit, do a little bit more, do a little bit more and see how it goes. But also I would say make sure it's something you're really passionate about because I think a lot of businesses fail because it's persistence. So they say, you know, businesses fail in the first year, in the first three years, and I feel like those years for me were really difficult years. So I think what separates those that are successful and those aren't are those that push through those difficult years and persist. So if you find something, make sure you love it enough and are passionate about it enough to persist with it because I think that what that's what makes the difference, that persistence. Yeah, no, I think that they're all terrific points. And and sort of, how about yourself? What sort of motivated you on maybe year two where, again, you're still grinding away, you've probably got these memories of these other businesses that sort of fizzled a bit, there's some issues with your business partner. What enabled you to sort of push through that and keep moving forward? I think it's probably because that's what I just want to do. It's It's a matter of... You know, whether it's the whether it's this business or another business, I would still be pushing through with some type of business. So, um, and I didn't feel like the business had done everything I wanted it to do yet. There was definitely a lot more in the tank, and there was a lot more that I that I had in the plan that I wanted to accomplish that we hadn't accomplished yet. So, um, for me, I wanted to see it through, um, and I'm just not ready yet. So, I kept pushing. Yeah, and sort of speaking of that, where do you sort of see Cypher Interactive in the next five or ten years? What is the next sort of near to mid-term future that you sort of see for it? So I'd like to continue to grow, and we are on a good, um, we are travelling in that way at the moment. So it's not something I want to, I don't think to be, you know, a hundred people plus that size, but I think you know, around the, the 20 to 30 mark would be a really nice place to be, somewhere where you can still control the culture, you can still do really good work, um, and you don't really have to worry about, um, you know, some of the, the issues that the larger organisations have to do, and you can still stay, still stay independent. Um, not that that's completely off the cards, but, um, you know, there's opportunities to merge with other agencies and things, but I think at the moment it's just growing. But in the short term, it's improving our results for clients and improving our skill set. So we're branching out a little bit more into a variety of different skills, still in that digital space, but um, branching out a little bit more to complement some of the other products that we offer. Um, so we still have a long way to go. Um, there's a lot, again, that we still want to do. Um, so we just, we'll, just keep, we'll just keep trucking on. 
And so are you almost purely sort of a service business at this point or do you have your own products which you've sort of built like again some of these kind of innovative um, first mover sort of products that you, you sort of make money of selling them or is that a future plan to create products or software or marketing technologies yourself? Yeah, there's a couple of products we have in the pipeline uh, that we've been working on um, and we're just refining them as we go. So we're, we're working on them in the background with our clients um, and it's something that we're, that, that we're working on at the moment but um, there's nothing ongoing at the moment so currently we're purely a service-based organisation. Okay, nice. And um, do you have any other sort of final thoughts or comments that you'd like to pass on to the audience? Um, I guess the big thing that I'll drive home would be that persistence. So I really do believe that when I talk to businesses that have that have failed or that are that have struggled, it's really the difference between those that push through those hard times and actually persist, um, versus those that go, "This is too hard, I'm quitting." So it's quite easy to say, "Oh, businesses are they failed in the first year because it's too hard." Well, it's because most people quit. So I think it's making sure you choose something that you're passionate enough about to push through those hard times and then you'll make it through. Uh, if not, maybe you shouldn't start. Yeah, and I think also there's, there's two types of persistence. Like there's sort of persisting within one business venture, but then there's also the persistence of doing additional businesses even when the previous ones haven't worked. Like you could have stopped yeah. after your second attempt, but you kept... So it's that balance between sort of knowing when to stop but then not giving up on the broader vision to have your own business and, and be an entrepreneur. So you're right, there's yeah, two definitely. different ways to sort of persist. But if you stop either the business you're doing or the idea of future businesses, then there's no way you can ever get it because you've stopped. And, and that's really, you know, what's yeah. going to limit people. Yeah, I think that's why spending that time up front to think about the business before you actually jump into anything. And I'm not... I'm, I'm not saying go and do a full 300-page business plan. I'm saying understand your market fit, like understand what it is that you do, what value you add, mm. and make sure there's a need there because yeah, I'm not into flogging your dead horse. If you're trying to you know, sell ice to Eskimos, it's, it's not going to happen, right, because there isn't a need there. There's not a market there. So I think spending that time up front to make sure that, hey, I have a really good idea, but what is it going to – what value is it going to bring? Are there people that are having the same problem that I'm having is it affordable? Can it be paid for? Can it be scaled? Can it be so? Getting all that stuff sorted first, because if you've got that sorted and it makes business sense and there is an opportunity there, then yeah, persist through those difficult times. Um, but if it's yeah, if it's never meant to be, then yeah, sometimes you need to just pull the pin and realise that it's it's not going to happen for those reasons. So there's reasons that it's not happening, not because it's just too hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and, um, yeah, wish you all the best for your uh, growth of your business. No worries, pleasure. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404 689 897. Thank you.